Today we're going to continue our series, uh, Heads in the Cloud. And this is a, a series about the presence of the Lord. And, you know, as we're in our, our vision to grow this year, the presence of God and growing in his presence, growing as a person of his presence, is paramount to any other growth that you want to experience in your life. If you want to grow in your marriage, you need the presence. If you want to grow in your parenting, you need the presence. If you want to grow in your spirituality, you absolutely need the presence. And we're going to continue this series for the next several weeks. And today I want to talk to you about protocols. Look at your neighbor and say protocols. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that it's settled in heaven. I thank you for your grace that enables us to live a life by the Spirit. And Father, I pray in these moments that we have together that everything that you desire to do among us, we say yes to. And I pray that we would understand the protocol of your presence and how we are ought to live and walk if we are to be a people with our heads in the cloud. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Before you see to turn around and tell three people, there's protocols to this presence. And you can be seated in Jesus' name. I want to start by telling you this very simple yet poignant principle of the word of God. God will not at any point stay where he is not honored. There are protocols to the presence of the Lord. If you look up the word protocol in the dictionary, it simply means the official procedure or system of rules governing the affairs of that system. There are protocols in government. There are protocols in churches. Uh, I, I preach out fairly often, and before I get up to preach, now, if you are new to the Potter's House, what you experience today is normal. It's not something that's abnormal to us. It's not something that we try to drum up. It is something that we have prayed for, something we have lived for. It's something we discern, the laying on of hands, calling out for healing and deliverance. But not every church is like that. If you come and stick around long enough, you'll start to see people prophesy. You'll see people speak in tongues that you have today. Not every church is like that. And so when I go out to preach before I do an altar call or get up to preach, I will always ask the pastor, unless I know them personally, is, is it protocol for me to prophesy? Is it protocol for me to speak in tongues? Is it protocol for me to lay hands on people? And I'm thankful to have a tribe of people in which I've never been told no to that answer or to that question. But you always check for protocols. There's protocols in your house. Come on now. There's protocols in your house. If you come into my house with your shoes on, my wife will take her house slipper off and throw it at you. 
I have become a ninja. Come on, y'all know that we've got, you got protocols in your house. And, and should the protocol be breached, should the protocol be breached, come on somebody, by a visitor, you're going to have something to say about that protocol being breached. Now, those of you that are like, no, I just welcome everybody into my home and they can do whatever they want. You're a liar and the truth is not in you. Because you know if people started pilfering around in your drawers, I can be in your pantry. That's the thing about father-in-laws and fathers and mother-in-laws. Their pantry is my pantry. But there's protocols. You say, Pastor, where are you going? We're going to protocols. If we want to be a people with our heads in the cloud, if we want to be a people where the glory and the presence of God not only resides with us corporately, but individually, we have to be a people that are in lockstep with the protocols of the presence. So I want to give you a little bit of, of, of context to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6, we read that David has gone to retrieve, Chronicles calls it the Ark of the Lord of Hosts. He has gone to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of the Lord from a place called Kirbath Jerba. It was the Ark represented the presence of the Lord. He was not in the Ark, he was on the Ark. And wherever the Ark went, Everyone knew God is with this people. The Ark of the Covenant was a box that's four feet long, two and a half feet wide, two and a half feet deep. It's covered with gold. The lid of the Ark was a slab of pure gold that had two golden cherubim attached to it and they were bowing inward. This was called the mercy seat. God was not in the box but remained over the box and in between the cherubim and it symbolized his presence. There were contents in the ark. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 4 tells us wherein was the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the Ten Commandments. And if you read and you put line upon line and precept upon precept, and you allow the word to interpret itself, and you allow the prophetic images of the word to be interpreted by the word, we will find that manna, was bread. It was a bread-like substance. And we would find in John chapter 6 and verse 35 that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The second thing that was in there was Aaron's rod that budded. You will find this fascinating passage of scripture in, in Numbers chapter 16 and 17. When Moses and Aaron are hearing from the Lord and trying to determine who would be the high priest of Israel, and God tells Moses, take the staff of the leader of each tribe and lay it beside the waters. And should the, whosoever staff in the morning is budding, whichever staff is bearing fruit in the morning, that is the staff of the man who would be the high priest. They came back in the morning and Aaron's rod had budded. And then they took Aaron's rod and put it in the ark. 
If you're a student of the Bible, you already know where I'm going because the Bible said in Hebrews chapter 8 that we have a high priest and he can be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. And in Hebrews 8 and 6, the Bible said that he's a high priest and he is the mediator of a better covenant established on better promises that, that we now live in now. It was a revelation of Jesus. And then there was the Ten Commandments. It was the word of God, the law of God to the people. The Bible said in John chapter 1 and verse 1 beginning that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the same was in the beginning with God and all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made and in Him was life and that life was the light of truth and the light shined in darkness but the darkness comprehended it not but there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was not that light but he came to bear witness of that light which is the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The Bible said, for he was in the world, and the world knew him not, and he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, born not of the flesh nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. And verse 14 said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You say, preacher, what are you saying? What I'm saying is that even in the Old Testament and stepping into the new, the presence of God is all about Jesus. It is Jesus incarnate. In Second, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, we read where the ark is stolen and, 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 and Eli's daughter-in-law has a son and they name him Ichabod, which meant the glory had departed. But what happened in 1 Samuel 4 is undone in Luke chapter 2 when Ichabod the glory has departed the angel showed up to Mary in Luke 2 and said you're going to have a son and you're going to call his name Emmanuel for that means God with us no longer is the glory departed but now God has come to be with man the presence of God the manifest goodness of God is all about Jesus and so to our text this morning, we find in 2 Samuel, it has been stolen by the Philistines out from under Eli, the high priest. However, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts humiliates the Philistine gods. They put it in a room with a Philistine god named Dagon. The next morning they come in and Dagon is on his face. They set him back up, go about their business. The next day they come back and now Dagon's face is gone and so are his hands. No man entered the room, but wherever the glory is, idols cannot stand. And so the Philistines, humiliated and terrified, how can this box do this with no hands? And, and they put it on a cart and send it back to Israel. And, and, and scholars would tell us that it was actually up on a hill on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And for, ye for 20 years is what some scholars believe. For 20 years it sits in the house of Abinadab in Kirbath-Jerim. And, and, and so now we come to this moment in 2 Samuel 6 when David makes the decision. We are going to go get the ark. 
We are going to go get the presence of God. Here is the first protocol that I want to get to this morning. Number one, it is the protocol of obedience. The protocol of obedience. Second Samuel chapter 6 verse 1 says this. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David rose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it out to the house of they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God and Ohio went before the ark then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood of harps on stringed instruments on tambourines on sistrums and on cymbals and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him there for his error and he died there by the ark of God there was a protocol set in place by God. And it is the protocol of obedience. If you were paying attention while you were reading, you saw that they put the ark on a new cart. They put the ark on a cart and this was direct disobedience to the command of God on how to carry the ark. Numbers chapter 4 verse 5 says, And when the camp sets forth, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it, and shall put their own covering of badger skins, and shall spread it over a cloth holy of blue, and shall put in the staves thereof. And then in verse 15, they were to carry the ark on their shoulders. They were to carry the ark on their shoulders, and so the people of Israel take the ark and they put it on a new cart. And you start to ask the question, well, where did they get this idea? The word tells us that they got this idea from their enemies, the Philistines. 1 Samuel 6 and 7, now therefore make a new cart. And then verse 8 says, take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart. Let me tell you something. Whenever we allow the enemy to convince us to handle the presence in a different way than God desires, we have broken the protocol of his presence. We allow the enemy to convince us to handle and carry the presence in a different way than God desires. You say, well, pastor, make it plain for me. Okay, for instance, this morning, it would have been really easy for us to get up on this platform and to take the microphone and to just pray out of worship and, and get into announcements and offering and preach because we got things to do and we got to be back here tonight. And, and, and let me just stop here and pause and just say, what has happened to us that, that when we call service on a Sunday night, people say, oh, that's just too much. Because some of y'all used to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Saturday Y'all don't want me to talk about that. And we're too busy, and we could have just zoomed past it. But, but that is, that's the enemy trying to whisper to us that, Pastor, in order for you, I was on a Zoom call this week with about 50, 50 young people, 50 young adults, and, and somewhere between 20 and 40 years of age, young leaders in the kingdom of God. And we begin to talk about 
How do you grow a church and be Pentecostal and presence-driven? Because if you listen to all the church growth experts, they tell you it's impossible. My dad was on this call, and he was one of the, the, the keynote speakers for this call to speak into a younger generation. And we were talking about it, and he said, I don't really know what they say, but God grew a church in Columbus, Ohio that is Pentecostal to its core. And God is going to continue to grow this church in Columbus, Ohio, who is Pentecostal to its core. And you say, well, why is that? Because I will not let the enemy of the church, I will not let the enemy of culture try to dictate to us how we ought to handle the presence of God. I will not allow the cultural pressure of hurry up and have church and get on with it convince me that that is the way that bodies are healed and that's the way that marriages are mended and that's the way that people are set free you have come too late to the party to to tell me that the presence of God is not the thing that we need the most I don't need a cute little sermon with a bow tie on the end I don't need three good songs that make me feel good I need to be in the presence of almighty God where everything changes when he shows up And as a leader, I'm determined to do that. But as an individual, where in your life have you put the ark on a cart? Because let, let me tell you, let me tell you what happens when the ark gets put on a cart. Uzzah and Ahio, the Bible said, pushed the ark. So the first thing that happens is we control the glory. And should the glory want to go right because we have control, we can determine we're going to go left. And instead of the ark driving us, we drive the ark. Because mm-hmm. let me tell you something. A cart can be left behind. Oh, I'm going to come down here and get in the Kool-Aid for a minute. You can leave the ark on a cart and go turn on your computer screen and watch things that are denigrating and dishonoring to God. It got real quiet in the room. You can drive the ark to your girlfriend or your fiance's bedroom and put it outside the bedroom and go fornicate. Can I tell you, you cannot get in the bed of fornication with the ark on your shoulder. Because the presence, the ark gets in the way of all that foolishness. And now, instead of telling the ark how it's gonna fit around your schedule, The ark is dictating to you what you can and cannot do. The ark is dictating to you where you can and cannot go. It is easy to sin when the ark is on a cart, but when you get in the right protocol and you put the ark on your shoulder, you've got to think about the ark everywhere you go. I can't go there because I've got an ark to carry. I can't do that because I've got an ark to carry. I can't stay there because I've got an ark to carry. We gotta get in the right protocol. 
So not only so do we drive the ark, but then the Bible said Ahio was in front of the ark. So not only do we drive it, but we try to lead it. You know, we are sometimes our own worst enemy. You know, I say this, and because I've got the microphone, I'm going to use my wife, and if she had the microphone, she could use me. But if I was, we were in the mall, right? We're trying to get somewhere, and we're just walking, and she's ahead of me, leading the way. And she turns around and says, where are we going? This has happened to some married people in the room. Come on now. <laughs> I've done it to her. She's done it to me. Where are we going? I don't know. You're leading. You're in front. It's the same thing with driving a car. Where are we going? I don't know. You've got the wheel. And we do the same thing to God. We get out in front of the ark and we're leading and then we're faced with uncertainty and we turn around to God and say, where are we going? What are we going to do? What's the plan here? And God's saying, I don't know. You're in front of me. You're leading me. And let me help you understand something. I came to this point probably a year and a half ago, six months into pastoring this church. And I, I made up in my mind, I'm not going to let the pressure of time push me in front of the ark. I'm going to be in lockstep with the ark because I'm going to carry the ark. And if I have to be anywhere not in lockstep, I'd rather be a step behind him than a step in front of him. But here is what I know, that when I put the ark on my shoulder in obedience to the protocol, I'm in lockstep with the Lord. And I get to a moment in time and I don't have to ask the Lord, where are we going? Because he's already made a way. Because when the ark got into the Jordan, the Jordan began to split. When I have the ark on my shoulder, I don't have to pray to God for direction because the ark is leading me and I'm not leading the ark. You say, pastor what do you mean I mean we've got to get in protocol if we're going to be a people who are, have our heads in the cloud all right y'all with me this morning and so watch this their praise didn't matter because they weren't in protocol Verse 5 of 2 Samuel 6, Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instrumentals, on tambourines, on sistrums and cymbals. They have a new cart. It's a new cart because most scholars agree that it was ceremonially clean. They threw away the Philistine cart and they built their own cart. Now, I could preach there too, but I'm not going to do that. They built their own cart ceremonially clean. They get out in front of they're walking with the presence and they're praising God and they're worshiping God and it's loud and boisterous and they're shouting for joy and shouting for praise and it didn't matter at all because the protocol of obedience will not be outweighed regardless of how loud our praise is 
regardless of how boisterous our praise is, regardless of how free we are in praise, the protocol of obedience will not be outweighed. Something happens, I'm going to show you at the end, something happens when obedience and praise meet together. But, but so many of us in our lives with Christ, we are content to come to church on Sunday morning and we're bored. Where's my phone? We're bored during worship and we scroll on social media and we're texting and we're trying to figure out what time is this going to be done. And, and we check off the box and we don't even consider that this day is minute in the eyes of the Lord. That this day matters, but what matters equally is how I'm going to live tomorrow. How I'm going to live on Tuesday. Am I going to be in obedience? And so we come into church. Some of us aren't distracted. Some of us come in praising, but our lives are out of order in the secret place. We're not obedient to the things of God. We're out of order in spaces in our life that the word gives clear instruction for. Some of you are saying, Pastor, is this going to get better? I promise it will. But if we're going to be people with our heads in the cloud, people of his presence, I'm not just going to stand up here and preach roses and sunflowers and the presence changes everything. The presence changes everything when the protocols are followed in your life individually and corporately. So, so, so first, we have to see the protocol of obedience and, and the byproduct of disobedience, number one, is death. Verse 6, they come to Nacon's threshing floor. The, the ark begins to tip on the cart. And Uzzah puts his hand out and touches the ark, which was against, against the protocol of God. No man should touch the glory. And God in his anger kills Uzzah. A life of disobedience is a life that will only produce death. You will not see growth that is life if you are continually disobedient to the word of God. If you want to grow this year, your first order of action should be, I want to grow in presence and I want to grow in obedience. Because if I grow in presence and I grow in obedience, then I am a candidate to carry the glory of God. Death follows disobedience. Somebody say that, death follows disobedience. Obedience is the key to discipleship. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. James 1, said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers also. Isaiah 1, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. There's death, and where there was death, there was now disconnection. 2 Samuel 6 and 10, so David would not move the ark with him into the city, and he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom. When there is constant disobedience in your life, there will be a presence disconnect. You will wonder, God, why don't I feel you like I used to? Why aren't you near me like I used to? The Bible says this in John 14, 21. He who has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him. And listen, I will manifest myself to him. This word manifest means cause to be seen, cause to be fully known. In your obedience, God becomes fully known. 
So if you're in here and you're, God, why, why can't I feel you? Why is your presence not with me every day? Why do I feel you corporately and then I leave and I, don't, I can't feel you a million miles away? Why is it that I, I go to pray and I can't sense you? You need to ask yourself the question, where have I been unrepentant in my disobedience? Where have I been unrepentant in my disobedience? And then there is returning. First Chronicles 15, 13 said, For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against you because we did not consult him about the proper order. Here's the reality. God's grace is always sufficient. And if you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I don't feel him like I used to. I want to feel, I want, I want to feel him deeper. I want to feel him more. I want to feel him closer to me. He is waiting for you to come to the throne of grace to receive help and he will restore you back into relationship where you can feel him and he is with you and he is near you. He's always waiting. David said we, 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 didn't, we didn't obey the first time. We were disobedient. And, and can I tell you, you cannot get into the habit of making plans and then asking God to bless them. God, we have done all this planning. We have done all these things. Now, will you bless our plans in Jesus' name? Thank you. Amen. You know what plan you never need to ask God to bless? His plan. Why? Because his plan's already blessed. And sometimes we make these grandiose plans. We have these grandiose ideas. And God is not anywhere near them. And we're praying, God, would you bless this? God, would you touch this? And God's like, I didn't tell you to do that in the first place. So if I bless it, I'll be rewarding you for doing your own thing in your own strength. So David said, when we go get the ark, this time we're going to do it right. Somebody say the protocol of obedience. The second is the protocol of priesthood. Protocol of priesthood quickly, First Chronicles 15 and 2. Then David said, no one may carry the ark but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. The Levites were the tribe of priests in Israel. And it was the priest that was qualified to carry the ark of God. Now let me step into the New Testament for a minute. How many of you are saved and redeemed this morning? Throw your hand up. You're saved, washed in the blood, redeemed. Keep it up real high because I'm going to just say something over you. The Bible says of you that you are a priest and therefore you are qualified to carry the glory of God. Come on, 1 Peter 2 and 9 said you're a royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood and, and so I'm qualified. Somebody shout, I'm qualified. I am qualified to carry the glory. I'm qualified to carry the presence. He has made me able to be able to carry the ark of God. And there was a, a prerequisite to carrying because David said to them in, in 1 Chronicles uh, uh, chapter 15 and 12, sanctify yourself. This word sanctify, it means, it means removed from common use to be holy. Remove yourself from what is common. Now I know on a Sunday morning, I talk holiness there's a myriad of definitions in the room and some people turn their nose up to holiness because of grace. But the reality is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has appeared unto all men 
teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. That's what Titus said. Holiness, uh, grace did not appear to erase holiness. Grace appeared to reveal holiness. It is in, it's by the grace of God that he has revealed himself and he is holy. And he says of us, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy, be set apart. Be uncommon. Don't, don't do the things other people do. Don't laugh at what they laugh at. I know this is antiquated and some of you are like, I didn't know I came to this type of church today. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. And if you think you can come into the house of God and praise the Lord, but you are not in a place of purity in your life, you are sowing seeds that will bear fruit and you will not like the fruit you bear. You say, well, pastor, how do I be holy? Number one, he already made you holy. He died on a cross. He shed his blood. He covered you in his blood. And now that which was unholy has been made holy. We are now righteous in the sight of God. Nothing you could do, nothing you could earn, God already paid it. Second, you ask the Holy Ghost, Lord, help me to be holy now in my living. Help me to walk right before you, talk right before you, live right before you. Help me to turn from things that are common. Help me to look away when everybody else is watching. Help me to mourn when others are laughing at things that are degrading and things that are sinful and things that are, that are just absolutely uh, uh, evil. Help me to be holy as you are holy. Sanctify yourself. Because as a priesthood, if we're going to be with our heads in the cloud... We must be holy as he is holy. Y'all with me still? Here is the third protocol. The third protocol is the protocol of place. Everybody say place. The protocol of place. First Chronicles 15, 12. You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brothers, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place. Everybody say the place. To the place I have prepared for it. If you haven't made a place for the presence, the presence will not come nigh your dwelling. You say, well, what do you mean a place for it? I mean you have sanctified your house and you have said in your home, in your life, in your heart, this is the place where the presence of God can stay. This is the place where the presence of God can rest. This is the place where the presence of Almighty God has a home. This is the place where the presence of God abides with us. I've made a place for the presence of God. I, I heard a story one time, I read a book, called God Chasers by Tommy Tenney. And he tells a story in that of a pastor friend of his that was a large man. And that large man over the course of his life had broken many chairs. He was a pastor and he would go visit families. And when he would go to visit families, he'd sit in their chairs, their dining room chairs, the living room chairs. And because he was large, he would break those chairs. And one day they were talking and this large man said to, to, to Pastor Tenney, he said to him, from now on, whenever I go into a house or to a party or to an event, I go in and I look to see if there's a place that can handle my weight. And if I don't see a place that can handle my weight, I don't stay there long. When God, the ark, comes in 
to a church, to a life, before he decides this is a place I can abide, he looks for a life that has created a space that can handle his weight. A life dedicated to prayer, to fasting, to seeking the Lord, to consecration, to pursuit after him. I'm making a space in my life where I can handle the kavod, I can handle the weight, and if I can handle the weight, then I know the glory's gonna stay for a long time. But if I've not created a structure, and I've not created a system that is ready for the weight, then God may come and visit, but he's not gonna stay a long time. And I don't know about anybody else in this room but I have long since become sick of visitations and I've long since become sick of God coming in and saying hi to everybody and leaving because nobody was there that was hungry enough to create a place where he could rest I wonder if there's anybody in the room that is hungry like me that says I'll do whatever it takes to create a place where the glory and the weight of almighty God can inhabit and stay You've got to have a place. There's got to be a space in your life that you have made for God. And then here's the last protocol. It is the protocol of praise. The protocol of praise. Now, I'm probably going to make some of you religious people real mad on this point. But God help you and set you free. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I'm serious. Second Samuel 6.13, and so it was. When those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed an ox and a fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Listen, the first thing you've got to see is there were six steps and then there was a sacrifice. One, two, three, four, five, six, stop. Six is the number of man and they stopped on six to worship God that he looked past their humanness and spared them and gave them another chance. One, two, three, four, five, six, stop. Bring me the oxen, bring me the sheep. Strike up the band, let's worship the Lord for he has seen us in our plight and he has forgiven us. One, two, three, four, Five, six, bring me the oxen, bring me the sheep, strike up the band, singers warm up, praise the Lord, for he has seen us in our weakness, and he has forgiven us and made us strong. One, two, see, I'm doing it quickly, but I I assume this lasted for quite a while. Every time they took six steps, it probably took hours for them to do the ceremonies of cutting the sheep and cutting the oxen and, 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 and striking up the band and strike up the singers, and they sacrificed to the Lord. And David 
danced before the Lord with all of his might. The word danced here means to twirl in joyous, rhythmic, whirling motion. Now, I grew up in, in, in some, many of you could say the same, in a very Pentecostal church, this church, <laughs> with a very Pentecostal dad and a very Pentecostal mom. And back in the day, if somebody was going to dance, it was because the Holy Ghost touched them. Right? Nobody danced unless the Holy Ghost came on them. But nowhere in this scripture does the Bible say that the Spirit came on David. Something like, Pastor, why do you jump? Why do you twirl? Why do you spin? Did the Holy Ghost come on you? No. That's just a way to praise the Lord. I, I don't need the Spirit to come on me to praise. He's done enough for me. I don't need any more convincing than what he's already done. And some of you are like, well, I ain't going to do that unless the Holy Ghost comes on me. That's fine. That's all right. But, but I believe God is raising up in the potter's house some people who are just radical in their praise and don't care what anybody else thinks about them and doesn't care what anybody else, what other eye is on them. And they're going to say, you know what? I don't need the spirit to come on me to dance. I'm going to choose just like David and I'm going to choose just like Paul and Silas and I'm going to praise the Lord because that's what he has commanded me to do. David danced. That makes people nervous. When people come up here in the altar and start dancing. When people are jumping around and twirling on the platform. When people are jumping and waving like we did last Sunday at the end of service. People get nervous about all that. People sit back and say, well, I'm not going to do that. I got something for you here in a minute. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to lift my hands. It's not even just about shouting and jumping and twirling. I'm not even going to lift my hands. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to watch them. I wish they'd stop singing. I got stuff to do. The Bengals play. Well, they play tomorrow so y'all can get delivered. But the Browns, I got the, my football team's playing today. And I got to go, be back here at church tonight. They'll be lucky to see me even wink. Huh. All right. Not only did they dance, but they shouted. The word shout here means to shout for joy or rejoice. And then they blew the trumpets. So now located in this text, as they pave a path to Jerusalem, is everything you need for praise. Everything that you just saw in this text happened in this room, just, just in the last two hours happened in this room. We don't have a trumpet, but we've got a keyboard that sounds better than a trumpet sometimes, depending on who's playing. Got guitars like they had. Everything we need to match this moment is here. So first, David decided, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to twirl. I'm going to jump. We're going to shout. And it wasn't just David. It was all the people 
everybody. That means you, Sister Nene, that doesn't want to jump and dance, doesn't want to be seen looking foolish. Everybody. All the people. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. They had the right posture. In 2 Samuel 6 and 20, then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. And I, I, I like David's sassiness. It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. One of the chief principles of praise that's not in my notes, and this is just for you. It's not for men, and it's not for your neighbor. I will play music because the Lord chose me over your father, is what David said. Okay, let's keep going. And I will be more, somebody shout undignified. I'll be more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. Now this word undignified, it, it doesn't necessarily mean to just be crazy for the sake of being crazy. Because then you start to border on flesh. This word undignified it means to grow smaller. To be in a state of mass becoming less. Can I help somebody in the room? Perhaps the biggest thing that gets in the way of you and I passionately praising the Lord without fear is pride. Well, I need to be proper because I was taught that I should be proper in church. And I need to be liturgical because, and I'm, there's nothing against liturgy, but I need to be buttoned up because we must do things decently and in order. You are full of pride and you need to repent. Hmm. That didn't feel real good, I know. I didn't come to make you feel good. I came to break people out of apathetic Christianity that tells them, well, I'm going to come to church and I'll sing, but I won't do anything else. I'm not going to lift my hands. I am not going to dance when they tell me to dance. I am not going to come to the altar and worship. I will not do it because I was taught that I have to be proper. And you were taught wrong. Here's David, the king of Israel in an ephod dancing in the street like he'd lost his mind. And David said, I will become even smaller than this. I'll become more undignified. I, here's what he meant. I am not going to let what the people think of me determine how I am going to praise the Lord. I am not going to allow the people to, to, 
just what they think of me, what they're going to say about me, what they, how they might stare a hole in my back as I praise. I'm not going to let them dictate to me how I'm going to praise. It's not I'm going to become undignified and be crazy. It's I'm going to become undignified and I'm going to worship the Lord in freedom because these people who are judging me didn't pay for me to be free and they didn't pay for me to be whole and they didn't pay for me to walk in healing and they didn't pay for me to walk in wholeness they didn't pay for me to walk in liberty why would I care what anybody else has to think about the way I praise if you've been through what I've been through you would be praising too and if you knew the pit that they brought that God brought them out of you wouldn't stand there and judge them like Saul's daughter in the window but you'd get up and grab their hand and say come on let's praise the Lord because I don't know what he's done for you but I can tell you what he's done for me and he's done more for me than I could ever fathom he's done more for me than I could ever tell And we're prideful. And people say, well, it's flesh. I will tell you that actually to praise the Lord in an undignified manner is to crucify the flesh. Because it's your flesh that's telling you you need to keep it together. It's your flesh that's telling you you need to button it up. It's your flesh that's telling you you need to get yourself under control. But when you get out and start praising the Lord and shouting and leaping and jumping and twirling, what begins to happen is your flesh becomes crucified crucified and you are no longer controlled by the fear of man very quickly very quickly I need to tell you seven words for praise and then we're going to move there's seven Hebrew words for praise the first one that's wrong and that's my fault the first one is halal not zamar we'll get there in a minute the first one is halal H-A- L-L-A-L, halal. The definition is right. It means to make a show or to boast. It means to act crazy. (laughs) And that stretches people. I'm not here telling you my opinion. This is the word of the Lord. When they would halal the Lord, they made a show of it. They they jumped, they danced, they celebrated. They made, and the boast was not in themselves, the boast was in the Lord. First is halal. The second is yada. It means to throw. It means thanksgiving or reverence. So when I, Yada the Lord. I am throwing praise on the Lord. One day, when we stand before him, we are going to yada our crowns at his feet. We're going to throw our accomplishments at the foot of the throne. The Bible said, enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. I'm throwing thanksgiving on the Lord. Uh, Okay, all right. Yada, the third 
It's todah. It's an extension of the hand. It means to lift our hands. So when we lift our hands, we're not just lifting our hands just for the sake of lifting our hands or because somebody said to do it. This is praise to the Lord. It's to extend the hand. The next one is shabak. Uh, that means to shout loudly. Now, I have never met anybody that shouts quietly. Shout loudly. I was trying to avoid this today because it's on everybody's mind. But what a game last night. And I was in my office by myself. And when they scored, I thought if anybody else is in this church that I don't know about, they might think I just got murdered or something. We shouted. And I made a decision coming in here this morning that as hard and as loud as I shouted last night, over a sports entertainment, nobody can keep me quiet on this Sunday morning when I consider all of the things that he has done for me. I just, I, I don't have, see, I wasn't shabaking last night. I was just excited. But this morning when my heart got postured toward the things that God had done and toward the things that God was doing, something started welling up on the inside. And all of a sudden a shabak came out. And hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, for all the things you've done for me. And you think I'm wild and you think I'm crazy. But the reality is when I shout unto the Lord, I am praising him with a loud voice. And, and so we shout about all these other things. But when is the last time we've really shouted about the Lord? Come on, when's the last? You say, well, we did that today. But I'm, I'm talking about regularly. I'm taught this sometimes I'm driving in my car listening to worship music and just thinking on all the things he's done and I just have to let out a little hoop while I'm in the car driving and if somebody's in the car when they probably would think I'm crazy but I'm driving and I just get overcome and I think I can't take my hands off the wheel to throw anything and I can't take my hands off the wheel to lift them and, and I can't dance while I'm in the driver's seat so I can't kneel so the thing I, I, I gotta do is I just need to shout The next is Barak. It means to kneel or to bow. Mm. And then, then there is Zamar, which means to touch the strings. To touch the strings. You say, Pastor, why do we have instruments? Because we Zamar the Lord. And, and, and some of you people, some of us think, well, when they take a musical break, that's a break for all of us. We don't have to sing. We can just listen to the music. What you don't recognize is that when we take a musical break, what the, the sound coming from this keyboard and the sound coming from this bass and those drums and those guitars 
They're making war in the atmosphere and they are warring in the spirit and they are breaking asunder strongholds in the spirit and so you might take a break from singing but the sound that's being released from the minstrels of God the sound that's being released from the prophetic anointing on this band is doing war in the atmosphere that is attacking the strongholds of your life so you ought to give God praise that there's anointed minstrels in the house that when you stop singing they don't stop warring when you stop worshiping they don't stop warring and they break they break strongholds of the kingdom of darkness I'm almost done y'all just chill then there's the word Tehillah and it means to sing. To sing. And you say, well, Pastor, why? Why do we sing so much? Because God commanded it. It's in his word that we to heal of the Lord. That we sing unto the Lord. And if we want to be people with our heads in the cloud. We've got to follow the protocol of praise, not the protocol of apathetic praise, but the protocol of passionate, can't shut me up, can't tell me to close my mouth, can't tell me I'm being too loud, that kind of, that protocol of praise. I, I, I need to know, is there anybody in the room this morning that would say, Pastor, I want to commit myself to the protocol of praise. I want to commit myself to the protocol that whatever God has done for me, I'm going to turn it into praise. And whatever God has done for me, I'm going to turn it into praise. Come on, the Bible said in Psalm chapter 18, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my strength and my rock in him I trust. The Lord is my shield and my buckler, the horn of my salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised and so shall I be saved from my enemies. In Psalm 34, the psalmist said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The humble will hear thereof. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. In Psalm 40 the psalmist said, I waited patiently on the Lord and he heard my cry and he picked me up out of the miry pit and he picked me up out of the horrible clay and he set my feet upon a rock and he established my going and he put a new song in my mouth even a hymn of praise unto our God. In Psalm 100 the Bible said make a joyful noise unto the Lord all 
ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord is God, and it is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name, for the Lord is good, and his mercy is everlasting. In Psalm 103, the psalmist said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who heals all of my diseases, and casts my sin as far as the east is from the west. In Psalm 150, the psalmist said, Praise the Lord. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the stringed instruments. Praise him with the organs. Praise him with the drums. Praise him with your voice. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Stand up on your feet and enter into the protocol of praise. Turn this mic up in the house. I said to lift up your voice and enter into the protocol of praise. Come on, somebody, somebody halal the Lord. Somebody to heal of the Lord. Somebody to mar the Lord. Somebody yada the Lord. Somebody toe down the Lord. Come on, somebody lift your voice and praise the Lord. Uh, okay. Praise the Lord! I'm putting a command on my soul. I will bless the Lord. Alright. We're almost done. But I want to do one thing. Because... I'm just going to trust that you're in a space of obedience with the Lord and in a holy place with the Lord, and you've made a place for him. Because just to end this service, I want you to just grab one of these words. Remember, the top one is halal. It's not zamar. I want you to just grab one of these words, and I'm going to count to three, and I want you to do one of these words on that screen. Some of you are like, Pastor, why y'all, why you gotta do that? Bro, you've been up here for an hour. Can't we just go home? And that's the kind of attitude that'll never see breakthrough in their life. So I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna give you just, just 10 seconds, 15 seconds to just study, just study the screen. Study it. And then I'm going to give you 15 seconds to give yourself some space. Some of you need to get out of your pew, come to the altar, step out in the aisle, go to a back corner. You got to give yourself some space. And I want to challenge some of you that are going to try to take the easy road out and just stand there and lift your hands or just sing. I'm going to challenge you to do something you've never done. Not... Well, the Spirit's not leading me to do that. 
I tell my soul to bless the Lord. The Spirit doesn't tell my soul to bless the Lord. I tell my soul to bless the Lord. I will at all times. You know what that means? I made a decision. I will. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. The Spirit didn't tell David that. David told David that. Bless the Lord, soul. So I want you to just break out of your normal, what you would have done. And we're going to praise, we're just going to enter the protocol of praise, and then we'll go home. Lift your hands all over the room. We're going to toe dial the Lord for a minute. Just lift our hands. And, and, and I'm going to, come on, come on, Judah. I, I'm going to count to three, and we're going to just break into praise. This band's about to get loud. So, Bill, if you don't care if I could get a little bit more volume in the house. Come on. Just stir it up. Just let your spirit get stirred for just 20 seconds. And I'm going to count to three. And I want you to hit this floor in praise to the Lord. Come on, Judah. Some more of the Lord. Some more of the Lord. Some more of the Lord. Here we go. Are you ready? One. Two, three, give it praise all over the room. <laughs> I see in the back. Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Come on, go further than you've gone. Do something you've never done in worship. Come on, Judah Plow. Do you feel the atmosphere shifting? Do you feel the atmosphere changing? Come on, come on, two more minutes. Two more. Two more minutes. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord! Come on, we're a running church too. If you need to run, go run. Praise the Lord! another one take 15 seconds and pick another one <laughs> pick another say pastor this is crazy I know but I'm telling you when y'all started shouting something in the atmosphere broke pick another one lift your hands and let the spirit begin to stir you again come on Judah come on Judah 
Come on, let the Spirit stir you. We're almost done. We're going to go home in a minute. I just, I just release runners in the room that feel like they just got to get it out of your system. You can do it now. On the count of three, pick another one and let her rip. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Come on and plow Judah! Come on and plow Judah! Come on and plow, 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 plow! Judah plows! given you the victory hey 30 more seconds 30 more seconds while they tomorrow the Lord Jesus, 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 hey, listen, David brings back the ark. The ark comes into the city. They put the ark in the tent of David. Nathan the prophet comes to David and he says, God sees your desire to build for him a house. But David, 
I gave you the desire, my God. But I'm going to give your children the blueprint. And it won't just be, David, you who builds me a house. But it'll be your legacy that builds the house. And so the Bible said in Psalm 8 and 2, it shall be written that a generation yet to be created shall praise the Lord. The Bible said out of the mouths of babes and sucklings have I ordained what? Praise! That I might still hand of the enemy so Derek what that tells me is my praise and following the protocol of praise is for a generation yet to be created that they would praise the Lord I got some bad news for you your babies won't be praisers unless your mama and your daddy are praisers. Your babies won't praise unless you praise. I, there have been times leaving Sunday services, driving in the car to random places. We'll turn on our worship playlist in the car and I'll look back in the very back of my van and my Gwenny is sitting in the back with both hands raised singing the song on the stereo system she, I don't know that she completely understands it but do you know why she knows what to do because she's been in this sanctuary when mommy and daddy during praise and worship have lifted their hands and praised the Lord my children at home when we turn on the playlist dance in the living room why because here on Sunday morning they've seen mommy and daddy dance before the Lord and if a generation yet to be created will praise the Lord then the parents who created a generation ought to praise the Lord Lift your hands all over the room.